This episode's guest is Brett Contreras. On this episode, Brett and I discuss what's new since we last saw each other in February of 2017. I asked Brett about long-term hypertrophy development. I asked Brett about quad development for tall individuals. Brett talks about his strong lifts program. I asked Brett about the mind-muscle connection. I asked Brett about the importance of both mechanical tension and volume when it comes to hypertrophy training. And I asked Brett if he ever takes one to two weeks of a break away from heavy lifting. Guys, this was a great discussion with Brett and I hope you really enjoy it. Contreras, you absolute beauty. It's been a while. How are you? I'm doing very well. It has been a while. I know. I think... We, we we have communicated through some text messages and through some WhatsApp messages, but I, I don't think we've had a good communication since I visited you when you were still living in Phoenix. Yeah. Five years ago. Yeah. By start of 2017. Yeah. Yeah. It was a while. So uh, b- before we get into today's topic, which is going to center around hypertrophy, um, maybe give us an update. Like what's gone on the last four years since, since you left Phoenix. I left Phoenix, went to San Diego. I think. I, I, you all, you never know like what caused me to blow up, but I think it's because I started training. Right, right when I moved to San Diego, I started training uh, my cl- my clients, uh, Masa, Ackberry Mayer, and then Brianna Alexander, and um, and then all of a sudden, all these bikini competitors wanted to train with me. They saw the videos, and so then I opened up Glute Lab. And by the way, I was moving out to San Diego to try to relax. I was like, I'm going to go to the beach every day for at least an hour. And I think I went like twice <laughs> that lasted a week. And I was not going to open up a gym. I'm like, don't, don't get too busy. Don't open up a gym. And then I went to all these gyms I was going to. Um, and I'm like, God, I don't like it for my own branding or my own like I'm, I met Jim's working out and I'm shoulder tapping people saying, Hey, can, can you, can you record me? And they're like annoyed and, and they're always terrible at recording videos that they won't be centered. It'll be like of the ceiling or there's someone in the background doing like one arm rows with the worst posture ever. And you're like, I don't want that in the background of my videos. Like, so I started thinking maybe I should also, I just didn't like the gyms. They can never do it the way I like it. You know, they don't have my favorite equipment. And uh, no matter what, th- this one gym I did like, but it would be 11 p.m. And, and they'd have 10 benches and all the benches were taken. It's like there was never a good time to do bench. <laughs> so I ended up starting up Glute Lab San Diego. And that's when I think people were realizing, like, this isn't just some dude in his garage anymore. This is a legit gym with coaches, with tons of clients. And we were we were slammed. We, we, we built it up. Uh, I think um, we were we weren't even trying to like maximize the revenue. I could have sold my my equipment out of there. I could have there's so much more I could have done, but it wasn't the focal point. But it, I remember we were pulling in like forty grand a month um, uh, just from that. But it was cool because I would go there, you know, once a day and uh, just hang out for like you know an hour, and there would always be someone visiting from Norway or Japan or like someone from around the world they'd be so excited and I felt like a little celebrity but um 
and I, it's funny sometimes like the husband would be there and he'd be like you know i asked my wife where it's it's our fourth anniversary i said where do you want to go anywhere in the world and she said glute lab i said wouldn't you rather go to like jamaica or like you know the caribbean somewhere or some island no i want to go to glute lab and i'd be like wow the pressure's on me to give a good session but that was really cool and i think that's when um kind of that's when i i started getting way more clients and way more credibility but i also at some point realized i'm slacking on instagram i remember back then i was doing the research review with chris beardsley and i was working out at night and my i would make two posts a day one would be my workout like who cares about my workout i mean it's cool but it's not that's not educating people that much and then i'd re repost chris's post you know and that's being lazy i didn't do anything on my own and i remember starting to do my own uh infographics you know i was anti-infographic for a while because i felt like i'm a blogger i you know i publish journal articles i write for back in the day i wrote for teenation like and then i'm like these infographics get 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 less and less it's like what are we going to move to first it was like journal articles then it was blogs then it was like you know meaningful posts and then it was these infographics had to get simpler and simpler now then it became like you know pictures of your twitter statement like you made a you make a you just have a twitter account so you can take a picture of it and post it on instagram and then it's like quotes or or me like no, no it's gonna move to just memes like that well then it became like TikTok dances and stuff and i'm like it just gets more and more watered down and people's attention span gets less and less it's hard for me as a scientist to post these you know sometimes i'll make a post and i'm like i could have taken out one sentence out of there and just posted the sentence and it would have gotten more likes and more shares but i decided to take it seriously i learned canva i started making infographics and um taking my instagram seriously and all of a sudden i started going up 1200 followers a day that's what i averaged one one whole year um I was, and you know, I went from like, I don't know, a few hundred thousand to like a million in a couple of years. And, and, um, and, and so everything blows up when you do that all your, so then you're like, you know, I want to start making equipment. So I started the BC strength line, you know, I already made start sort of the hip thruster, but then I added the glute loops and then the T-bell and things like that. And then I remember talking to my friend, Carrie, and she's like, you're the world's glute expert and you don't even have a flagship glute program. I'm like, yeah, I do have strong by Brett. She's like, that sounds like a, a, that sounds like a powerlifting, you know, program. Change it to, I'm like, well, I have booty by Brett trademarked. I just never used it. She's like, that's great. Change it to booty of Brett and actually promote it. She's like, you never promote anything. So I did that, did what she said. I think I went from, you know, I had like 1200 members that went up to like I don't know, a few thousand like overnight. And then it just kept growing and growing and growing. And then, but also when you get, you know, Robbie, you remember when I answered every email and every Facebook, every Instagram comment, I did that for years. It got to a point up until the pandemic, I was still doing that. And it got to a point where it was like five hours a night. And I remember I would try to be answered because I, I never want to I never want people to think I'm too big for my britches. Like we, we know lots of strength coaches who got that way, who got these egos and it wasn't good for their health. And I see that. And I never want to be, 
unreachable, you know, uh, unaccessible. So I try to respond to people. It gets to a point where I would be, you know, at nighttime, I'd be responding to these DMs and then I'd fall asleep, wake up, start receiving. It was unhealthy. Like who does five hours of pro bono a night? Well, I was doing that. And then when the pandemic started, I think like the first couple of weeks, like no, no one had anything to do. So the DMs went up by probably 30 to 50%. I remember I had 1,200 DMs one night and I responded to every, I counted them. I responded to every one of them. It took, and I'm, a, I'm so fast. I'm like a machine, but still it took me like five and a half hours and I'm like, I can't keep doing this. So I stopped, I still try to, you know, get to a lot of them, but only like an hour a day, not five hours a day. But anyway, that's so, yeah. Then I wrote Glute Lab, the book. And yeah, I got to a point where I was so, so busy. I was like go, going crazy. Anytime I get my life good, I then take on more and then I get it too stressful. I have a reoccurring history of taking on too much. But now I'm in a pretty good place. I moved to Vegas and uh, love my house here. And then I still have my gym in San Diego. I go back every month. It's a private gym now. I don't have trainers there. I just have my squad. It's a place for my squad to train. And I started up strong lifting, which is like powerlifting, but it's six lifts instead of three. We do squats, bench, and deadlifts. Then we also do uh, chin-ups, military press, and hip thrusts, all one rep maxes. My squad trains exclusively for those competitions. Well, most of them do, but they also compete in bikini. And that's what I want to point out that powerlifting is awesome, but, you know, and, and granted, most powerlifters do assistance lifts, but they don't treat the, they don't treat, you know, hip thrusts like they treat the squat and deadlift. They don't treat military press with as much emphasis as they do the bench. I mean, obviously it's an assistance lift. When you have a lift in competition, you, you prioritize it. And powerlifting is hard enough trying to juggle three lifts. I always say if deadlifts weren't in there and it was just squats and bench, my squat would be way higher because the deadlift interferes with the squat with your low back and stuff. So, um, but uh, yeah, try training for six lifts. It's really hard. But what I will say is like, we do the chin up. You have to start from a dead hang. You have to get your chest to the bar. My girl's lats, my girls' backs are insane. Like you can grip their lats. There's like these chunks of meat there. My girls' backs are insane. Their glutes are insane from the squatting, the deadlifting, and the hip thrusting. When you add hip thrusts in there, because the thing about the hip thrust, you're always limited by the lockout. So we probably do 50% normal reps and then 50% lockout reps. But what I will tell you, and we could do a whole podcast on this, um, my strong lifting is turning into an awesome system, kind of like Westside. Um, I think I have the strongest female gym in the world and we're all natural, you know, no one's on stuff. Uh, and I would go, I would, I would, I want to announce that and say, is any, anyone want to take me on? Let's have a, let's have a meet. My girls, I mean, you know, I've got girls, uh, 130 pounders deadlifting 405, um, girls doing 75 pound, weighted chin-ups i remember back in the day you and i both followed mike boy remember that clip of his i think it was a hockey or olympic olympian hockey player doing like yeah three, yeah. Or, three or five reps with a 45 pound plate and i remember seeing that and being like i didn't even know that was possible like i didn't know 
like women could get that strong at the chin up. I, I mean, at that point, I just never done it. You know what I mean? I never gave, I never set the bar that high. Well, now I do. Sometimes you have to see things. I think that's what my hip thrusts do for people. They realize, wow, you can throw some plates on with that. Everyone would, would have been content with body weight glute bridges and stuff back in the day had I never introduced the barbell hip thrust. So yeah, I, 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 my system is great. And what I do is I, it's kind of a blend between uh, raw powerlifting methods and then West side with their emphasis on bands and chains and lockout work blended together for all six lifts. And what's nice is, you know, because West side was all, all the rage when you and I were learning about, you know, everyone learned from it. You know, I remember so many coaches were, were, you know, from Dave Tate to Jim Wendler, even to like Joe DeFranco, they were also, we were also heavily, heavily influenced by West side as strength coaches. But then Dan Green came out with an article, I don't know, like five years ago, basically saying like for raw lifters, West side isn't all that like, come on, quads don't matter in a squat. And he's like, I'm tired of getting, doing all these box squats and these guys with huge quads are smoking me at the competition. And chest, the, the pecs don't matter in a bench press. Of course they do. These guys with giant pecs are out benching me. And he basically said, quit doing West side, but here's the problem. My girls, you know, they can recover more frequently, more uh, uh, quicker. They can recover quicker and perform the lifts more frequently. But you try doing squats hard twice a week, deadlifts hard twice a week, hip thrusts hard twice a week, bench hard twice a week. You know, it gets really hard to do. But if you do one day is a, a, a raw meth, you know, method, a raw variation, you know, high bar back squat, low bar back squat, front squat, pause squat, something like that. And then another day of the week is a lockout method, bands, chains, and we even do bands and chains on chin-ups, military press, we do it with everything. We've always done them with hip thrusts. You know, way back in the day, I, I, in 2006, I was already doing band hip thrusts. When I, the first month I thought it up, we were doing band hip thrusts, barbell hip thrusts. So that's an exercise, the hip thrust that lends itself to all these variations. But now I've got a whole list, like what Westside did. They have a list, I've got a list, and I'm working on a strong lifting certification that I'm curious to see how popular it will be, but it's not just a it's not just a strength system, it's a physique system. Because if you do strong lifting and eat well, your body will transform better, in my opinion, than if you did bodybuilding methods, especially for women, because you know, for per women's goals, you know, they follow a typical male bodybuilder's routine. They don't want a chest and, and arm day, they don't want or a chest and and, and tricep day. They don't want a back and bicep day. Some do, but not all of them. They like training lower body more frequently in my experience. And, and there's research to back that up too. Um, but anyway, I'm very excited about that. Um, and trying to grow that. It's just, I, I thought of it that the worst time in history was during the pandemic. So yeah, I just realized I, I rambled for 10 straight minutes about ask you asking me what I've been up to. No, it's per perfect. I, I it's funny because people nearly always apologize when they realize, God, I've been talking for like 10, 15 minutes, and I'm like, this is exactly what I wanted you to do. That's why I turn my mic off so there's no background noise from my end. And I just let the person talk, but that's perfect because it brings us right up to where you are currently, um, which is in Las Vegas. And also it's kind of a nice segue into our topic today, which is hypertrophy and bodybuilding methods and 
and the sort of the process of accruing lean um lean muscle mass or lean tissue which is muscle mass well sorry lean tissue also also is other properties in the body like bone and connective tissue but we're talking about putting on muscle mass so the the first question i sent over to you was we often hear in the strength and conditioning world about long-term athlete development and i've kind of just been the last few weeks for me since the gyms reopened here in ireland i've just been focusing on putting on good good muscle you know what i mean so and, and i'm doing it in a very slow cooked process where i'm giving myself about two years to regain about 20 kilo of muscle um so looking to put on about five kilo every six months or so that, that's kind of the rate i'm going at so in my head i started thinking about long-term hypertrophy development and i've been thinking like you know how different individuals would conceptualize that i'm sure like if you ask mike Isertel, he'd have his take and then you came to mind so that's my question to you let's say you have a hypothetical person, the year, hypothetical skinny male who's looking to put on a good bit of muscle, but there's no real rush. He's like, I don't care if this takes two years or three years. We'll just give it a two-year frame. Say it's 20 kilos or whatever that is, 45 pounds. And he had two years with this person. In your mind, like, how would you start to structure that? So, um, first of all, I just last week started training this 17-year-old kid. His name's Ashton. I... I, I <laughs> I miss training males and I used to train dudes all the time back in the day. And then when I, when I start up lifts, my first gym in Scottsdale, this was 2007 or eight, um, 2007, I believe it just so happened. It was like, you know, it was weird. I thought I was going to attract, we don't remember. I was a high school math teacher. I thought I was going to get all my students and, and past students that, you know, the, the, athletes that would come to me and be like because they all love me and they love talking about weights with me so i i just assumed i'd have like 30 clients and 20 of them would be like my male students well it didn't turn out that way and it's funny i remember one girl leslie referred 13 people <laughs> I, I, at the height of lifts popular I, I i remember i had 55 clients and then the and then the um housing market crash happened <laughs> and that made it really hard to get, everyone was going out of business. My entire plaza went out of business, but um, um, it just so happened that like when I started training people, my female friends and family members were like, oh, you're, you're moving to training full-time. I'd love to train with you. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I ordered all this equipment back then off Elite FTS. I had all this like prowler and you know, high step up attachment, box squat, like reverse hyper, sumo, you know, 45 degree hyper with a sumo base, glute ham developer, all these specialty bars and stuff. And uh, I'm like, uh, I, I'm on my training is more for athletes. And they'd be like, that's great. I love train. I'd love to train like an athlete. You know, I had these girls pushing my, 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 me and my car <laughs> up and down the street. They loved it. And, um, and so that I always just attracted women as clients. And so it just, you know, funny how things work out. Cause, um, I'm not like, <laughs> I sometimes laugh cause I get accused of not understanding women that well, like in my relationships and stuff, I'm like a typical bro, but, uh, it just turned out that I I'm always surrounded by women and surrounded by women clients. And I, so anyway, here in, in Vegas, it's so hot. And so we had a day where it hit 118 here. And I, I 
my gym here is in my garage. I've got a four car garage. It's like a thousand square feet. And I love it, but when it's 118, even at nighttime, the lowest it dropped was like 100. And I have an air conditioning unit and a giant fan and overhead fans that can't, you're just soaked in sweat, it's too hot. You can't lift. So I joined a gym uh, at EOS and I'm at EOS, you know, doing my lift. And I, I look over, there's this group of kids there. And one of them's like the strongest one. And, you know, I'm wanting to, I'm wanting to help so bad, but they don't know who the hell I am. And I'm like, so I sat there on the preacher curl uh, machine, the hammer strength preacher curl right next to him watching them deadlift. And he remembers me watching. He's like, he's like, uh, I saw you and I was pissed. I didn't get 600 off the ground. Um, cause, cause you were watching. It was funny, but I wanted to chime in. So then the next time I saw him, I was like, you know, what are you guys a group of athletes? Are you guys a football team or something? He's like, no, we all just kind of all try to train together. We're all from different, you know, high schools and stuff. But he's 17. He just finished high school. And I just started training him. So uh, I'm having fun with it. It's so he's he's a trainer's dream because he weighs about 210, 215, and he's like six foot one, but he can squat 500. He's 500 with me. He's hit 525 on his own and he can deadlift 600. And he benches like like 295, 275, 295. So um, with a pause, you know, so his training, you look at it, it's all he, he does squats one day, like, a you know, a ton of squats, not much assistance list. The next day it's bench press. The next day it's deadlifts. Then he just keeps that up. So it's like squats, bench, deadlifts, squats, bench, deadlifts. And he tends to train like six to seven days a week. So he's spinning his wheels a little bit, training too much. But he's never done chain squats. He's never done hip thrusts. And he has these huge quads and his glutes aren't that well developed. So, uh, and, and he's got these tree trunk legs with little glutes and his lockout is weak, you know, for deadlifts. Um, and he's just, there's so much I have to teach him. It's so much fun. He's never done sumo deadlifts regularly. He's never, so I'm just teaching him a ton and teaching him a system that allows him to recover a little bit better. And also, you know, teaching him more bodybuilding lifts too, like lateral raises and stuff. And uh, it's been fun, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to train him for a few months and see if I can get his deadlift up to like 635 or something, or maybe we can do a powerlifting meet. But that makes me think about that whole topic of long-term hypertrophy development. But I also want to point out that I was thinking of the same thing a while back with like, I struggle to do um, Cossack squats. They're so hard for me. Pistols are so hard for me. Um, what if in PE, instead of doing all the little things we did, you know, you know, you warm up, you do all these arm circles and wind, all the, all the stretches we had to do. And what if instead, and, and oh, by the way, sometimes I've been asked, you know, in, in articles and podcasts, like, what do you wish, what do you regret from your first few years of lifting? Or, and I, I sit there and I go, if I knew then what I know now, I didn't know about progressions and regressions. Like, I didn't know about that. I couldn't do chin-ups. I just didn't do chin-ups. I just didn't even try them. I didn't know you could climb to the top and do an eccentric chin-up. I didn't know eccentrics helped. You know, I didn't even know. I thought it was only the concentric that mattered back when I was 16 years old. Um, I couldn't do dips, so I just didn't do them. I could have done eccentric dips. I could have done band-assisted dips. Bands weren't even popular when I was started lifting 
30 years ago. Um, but yeah, if I knew about regressions, if I couldn't do a lift, I just didn't do them. I didn't do squats because they felt, you know, my first few years of lifting, I folded like an accordion. I had no quad strength. So I would just good morning. My squat it didn't feel right. I'm like, this is supposed to work your quads. I feel it all in my low back. <laughs> uh, deadlifts I avoided. Um, and I remember when I learned deadlifts, I just did these it would have been worthy of a YouTube video, a fail video of my form. It was like all completely rounded because we didn't have the internet back then. I didn't have anywhere to look. I just was like, I remember telling my training partner, is this how you do a deadlift? I'm like, I think we're doing them wrong. I feel this all in my low back. And, and he was like, I think we're doing them wrong too, but it is a low back exercise. So maybe we're, we didn't know. But anyway, yeah. What if in PE we had, you know, you do, you do, you know, you just got a chart. It's like, you want to work your way up to this, but if you can't do that, do this instead. And it's, and it's progressions of pistols and more challenging push-ups and chin-ups, you know, like I, I if we were trying these things and, and basically a mixture of like, say you did 20 minutes of calisthenics and then, you know, whatever, 20 minutes of sports or something, or or maybe like two days a week you do calisthenics and three days a week you do sports, something like that. We'd have way better athletes in America, you know? We'd have way better athletes. And you know, if, if you were doing single leg hip thrusts, if you were do, doing, you know, Nordic ham curls with partner up and doing Nordic or something, like think how good you would be, you, 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 think about how strong, how much stronger you would have been at high school sports had you started at age 10 doing some of these calisthenics think how much more athletic we would be. So if we have form a foundation of, yeah, body weight movements, but people, you know, people always ask me this during the pandemic, like, can you keep your muscle doing body weight stuff? Absolutely. The thing is, it's just so boring doing just body weight. We're spoiled, but yes, if I took my physique right now and you just said, you know, you're quarantined Brett for the next year, all you have is a chin up bar, dip bars, and, you know, whatever, like a couch for single leg hip throws or a step up, a plyo box for step ups, you know, like, could I maintain my muscle mass? Absolutely. You know, doing chin ups is probably the best exercise. It just sucks doing body weight, you know, for, <laughs> you know, I could probably do 12, 10, eight for my three sets right now. If I got that up to 15, you know, uh, uh, pecs, right. Push-ups are a great exercise for women. And then you get, get even more, but men tend to be better at push-ups. but say you get to where you're doing single arm push-ups, or you do this self-assisted, like this hands bracing, you know, self-assisted one arm push-ups, or even for me, I do um, deficit push-ups where I go into a stretch, a further stretch. I do a set of 20. If I do two sets of 20, my pecs are sore the next day. You know, that, that stretch is great for them. So it's just knowing what exercise to do. If you can bust out Nordic ham curls on your own, you're going to have good hamstrings. If, if, you, if you're doing pistol squats and single leg hip thrusts and frog pumps and things like that, you're going to have good glute development. You know, it's just the thing is, and then all the Bulgarian split squats, the lunge types of lunges, the, the step ups, single leg box squats, all these skater squats. There's so many good, good exercises to do. And then for upper body, all the different rows, basically rowing and, and pull-ups and chin-ups from different angles and same with pressing from different angles, the 
handstand push-ups, the elevated push-ups, push-ups, you know, dips, all you, and then throw in some abdominal core stuff and you'd be a, a force to be reckoned with. So to answer your question about long-term hypertrophy development, um, I would always start with body weight and like dumbbell and stuff and then move to barbell. And then, you know, then I'm, I'm a fan of machines though. You know, I, I love machines. I think a good carpenter, think about the best carpenter in the world, the best artist in the world. They're going to have a lot of tools. Yes, you will use your hammer and your screwdriver a lot more often than some specialty tool, but throughout the year, you will use a specialty tool all the time. People bash the Smith machine. Guess what? That's because they put their feet out in front. <laughs> to all the listeners who are listening to this, Try and do a, a vertical Smith machine, not the angled one. The vertical Smith machine with your feet underneath the bar, like like you would when you're standing with the barbell, you're leaning forward just a little bit. Put your feet like behind the bar slightly. Squat down and squat up. It feels exactly like a regular squat. And there's not a lot of horizontal bar movement in a regular squat. I did six weeks of pure Smith machine squats, and my squat went up. My one rep max squat went up because I know how to match my mechanics other people don't they do it like a hack squat so yeah i love all tools i love the plate loaded equipment i love i love barbells dumbbells kettlebells bands um <laughs> you know i love um body weight apparatuses i love um you know bands and chains i love single joint machines i love compound machines i love it all and i think if you're a true student of this the field you should love it all i know mel sif was always my idol you know growing up learning and he loved everything too he studied it all he studied physical therapy he studied bodybuilding he even liked posing he called it loadless training everything was just science to him he didn't get into these cliques and and camps where you're you know, very rigid in your thinking so i would just have a progression where I tried to get them good with body weight first and then, you know, move to the dumbbells and, and kettlebells and bands and then progress to barbells. And then once you've mastered the, and then also you, I'm a huge proponent of accommodating. Well, I don't even call it accommodating resistance because accommodating means it accommodates the strength curve. You're not necessarily accommodating the strength curve. If you do band or, or chain uh, bench press, is it, is it harder? Is it, is it easier at the lockout with bench press? I don't think so. The squat is easier at the top, but some people fail at the top. That's where they fail. The deadlift, people, a lot of times people fail at the lockout anyway. Are you a little bit stronger there? Yeah, but the point, you shouldn't be thinking of, we shouldn't call it accommodating resistance because it accommodates the strength curve because it doesn't always accommodate the strength curve. Plus, when you get good at using these things, you realize you still have that sticking point, sticking region in the middle. But uh, it it's just should be called variable resistance. In the research, they call it variable resistance. But yeah, I feel like when you squat with chains, that's how a squat is supposed to feel. Squatting with chains is a more natural. I, I, I wish I, if I still wrote for Teen Asian, I'd make it a squatting with chains is how squatting is supposed to feel. I have all my clients doing chain squats now. They love it. They're like, Brett, this feels so much better. And at Glute Lab San Diego, I have 90 pounds of chain ten tension here in Glute Lab Las Vegas, my AKA Brett's garage, I have 130 pounds of chain resistance. And it's just, it, that's how squats are supposed to feel. You feel your quads throughout the full range 
you stay more upright because it's easier at the bottom. You go deeper because it's easier at the bottom. <laughs> and um, it's hard the whole way through, but it just feels so natural. But anyway, in short, I love it all, but I do think there should be a system to it, you know? Um, and, and if you just relied on, for example, single joint machines, you'd never get good at compound movements, you know? It, and so, sometimes I remember this client I had, Tana Eubanks-McCoy, she came to me, this was probably, I don't even know, like six years ago or something like that. She had just competed, uh, done a ton of competitions in bikini. She was burnt out. I said, Tana, just trust me. You've been doing body part splits for so long. I'm gonna move you to three full body days. You're gonna love it. You're gonna look forward to your, your workouts. And I was like, how many chin-ups can you do? She's like, one. And I'm like, you should be doing 10, you know? She did these crazy back workouts. She hit lat pull downs from different angles, seat to rows. But I had her do chin-ups and it was 10 weeks. She added a rep a week. So week one, she did one. Week two, she got like two. 10 weeks later, she got 10, but she would, at the top of the chin-up, she'd have the video and she'd screenshot it and be like, what the hell are these? Look at my back muscles coming out. Her back muscles got more muscular from doing chin-ups than from doing way more volume on the machines. Why? Because she's pushing herself so hard. You give yourself a goal, then you're utilizing progressive overload. You're putting more tension on the muscles. That's the most important driver of hypertrophy, not volume as people think. Um, so, you know, volume is cool, but you, you have to, that's why strong lifting is so awesome. And powerlifting, when you're focused on gaining strength, you put on more muscle. The problem is it's not all about progressive overload. It's also about the mind-muscle connection and also being smart in your training and recuperating. But yeah, that's why I think if you never gave people body weight exercise, they'd never get good at them. And then eventually you get so good at them, you, you do weighted chin-ups and you know, you have to progress your dips and your push-ups and your and then you know, and that's where the barbell comes into place so so well is like, yeah. With pistol squats, I have clients that I have clients who their first time doing pistols hit 10 pistol squats. I taught them how to do them and they hit 10. Um, because they're already advanced, you know. Well, if those people have to train from home, what's their goal to get to 30 pistol squats? Like it makes it so it's boring. It makes it so much cooler when you're uh and like Bulgarian split squats. I've had clients do hundred Bulgarian split squats, you know. It, it comes to the point where they can injure their back leg because they're resting on that hip flexor. <laughs> they're putting too much kind of like leaning on it and then they get, they get, they get hip flexor injuries. But anyway, now I'm rambling again. So <laughs> no, it's, it's all, listen, it's, it's all good. And again, it's kind of, it's a nice segue into some follow questions. So you've given a sort of an overview of your, ideas around a long-term hypertrophy element again just starting with uh, bo uh body weight then you start to incorporate dumbbells and the barbell and, and the kettlebells and just getting strong at the basic movements and then the variations of the movements all sounds great let's say we're getting a little more advanced now because there is something to be said about right the the person's individual body type and certain exercise selections to maximize hypertrophy in certain regions it, it does seem to be like if you're a beginner listen just get get good 
at the basics, body weight, and then the fundamental barbell list, and that will bring you a, a um, you know, a, a long way, because again, like, it's kind of like show me anyone who can squat, deadlift, and bench, and overhead press, and chin up appreciable amounts of weights and hip thrust. They're not going to be a small or weak human being. They're they're going to have some sort of form to their body. But say like, because I notice myself now, like. Like I've squatted and deadlifted, and I've you know I've squatted double body weight, and I'm more built. I'm. Oh. My glute squat. I get called around the clock. But I'm I'd be more I'd be more uh, built to like pull and deadlift. Deadlift's always been a better lift for me. But so the reason I bring that up is that like I've never been a great squatter in terms of stimulating my quads from squatting. Like so I'd always kind of if you like deadlift my squat you know so more of a low bar yeah. power power lifting style just going below parallel but like i'm at a stage now where I, I really do want to develop my quads so for me personally squats wouldn't cut it for me in terms of maximizing my ability to to really to to develop my quads unless like we really manipulate maybe elevating my heels more upright trunks stuff like that or doing a different variation of squat maybe like if it's a hack squat or if it was like it, chain squats i promise or you. like chain squats or something like that yeah so high bar, high bar heels elevated chain squats. Yeah, exactly. So just in terms then of exercise selection, what have you seen? Because in Christian Thibodeau's, um, he came out with a book there, I think last year, uh, in associated, what are they called? The Fitness Institute. I think they're based in Australia, but it's his, uh, his Christian Thibodeau's Guide to Hypertrophy, 12-week muscle building and hypertrophy guidebook. But it's just interesting in that he talks about how he sets up the program different for tall lifters versus short lifters in terms of exercise selection. Because I know you're tall too. And actually, I saw something you put out on Instagram about you were, you were actually trying to get a little more quad work. You were like, saying, I, I promise I, I'm, I'm trying to get my quads to grow. Um, so it's just because it's interesting because you, you know, you're taller than me. I think, what are you, 6'4", are you? And like, I'm 6'2". So oh, yeah. for tall, tall people like us, like when it comes to like quad development, you know, like what exercises you're thinking of and, and, and not even limiting this to the quad now, kind of my overall question here is like when someone gets to a competent level of like, you know, being good with the barbell list and now they're like, right, I really want to start to target like quad development or pec development in your mind, like a short versus a taller individual, what sort of exercises would you think would suit those body types better? So, uh, okay. Totally agree that you got to fit like no all right i agree with everything you said i like to say yeah for a man you know 100 pound chin up weighted chin up 200 pound military press 300 pound bench 400 pound squat 500 pound deadlift 600 pound hip thrust that's a good goal like <laughs> makes a nice even numbers one two three four five six for the six list right for a man for a man that weighs 200 right those are good goals and if you can do that, if you're a 200 pound man who can do that, you're probably going to have a lot of muscle on you. Yes, there are some freaks that you're like, how the hell do they lift that? <laughs> but if you weigh 200 pounds in a man, I mean, unless you're like 6'4", 200 is not that. Well, actually, God, look at the, <laughs> the natural bodybuilders end up weighing that. So anyway, point being, though, that, that's a good goal to get good at the barbell lifts. Now, I posted something a, a couple months ago, and it was like my favorite quad exercise, and I had front squats on there. And I got some flack from people. They're like, why the hell would you pick a lift like the front squat? It's, you're never limited by what the quads do. You could squeeze out more. And my response to that is, 
I kind of agree. But one thing I like about the front squad is you can't cheat that. If you lean forward, you drop the bar. You have to stay more upright. So you're going to, with the, with, you can good morning a back squat. You can't good morning a, you can't squat morning a, a front squat. So you have to use your legs. Now, are you purely limited? You can always do a little more. Okay, I see their point. And here's me being a contrarian because I actually agree with them to a degree. And this is, I've never explained this before. I, again, if I wrote for Teenage and I'd write this out in an article. I don't think you can maximize quad activity or quad development unless the knees go in front of the toes. But, because uh, that's just based on my feel and my EMG research. The highest quad exercises are like, you know, the high bar squat, the front squat, and the hack squat. On every one of those, and when I do hack squats, I don't put a far foot placement, I put a low foot placement. Now you could say, what about just putting a low foot placement on the leg press? It's different, because as you come up, if you had a force plate on the leg press platform, it's angled and it starts being like, uh, how do I explain? It's like if you do a squat morning, you're taking tension off the quads, you know, and you make it more hamstring dominant. Dominant. Well, with the leg press, your knees don't stay. It has to have a good, a sufficient like knee knee extension moment arm throughout the lift. If if, and so, God, I could go into a lot of the biomechanics because even if you have a low moment arm, if the hamstrings are activated, then the quads have to do more because the hammies create hip extension, but they also create knee flexion. And now the quads have to do work harder to create knee extension. So that was a, an interesting point in this point counterpoint that Chris Beards and I did with uh, Lauren Chu and Meg Bryant in back in the day where we disagreed with them, but there was a good point that you're gonna have to use the quads in a squat no matter what. Um, even if you end up sitting back more and using the hammies, well, that hammy contraction creates a knee flexion uh, moment, you know, and so then you have to use the quads more to, it's like a tug of war. But from doing them, I can tell you squat mornings are way easier than upright squats for the quads. You know, do a, do a walk upstairs and stay very upright. You feel it in your quads a ton. Lean forward a ton, you feel it less. It makes it easier for your quads. So, it, I, I, and, and here's how, what I would say that just to be a contrarian, I say, okay, well, the research on training a failure isn't all that. You have to completely go to failure. And that's why I said, well, if it was that important to keep, keep why don't we all do drop sets then? <laughs> okay, what if we did a front squat drop set? Then would it be amazing and finish off with body weight? Like you do, say I put, you know, <laughs> 275 on the bar and did five front squats and then people took the 25s off and I did five more with 225 and then people took the 45s off and I did five to 10 with, <laughs> I'd probably only do five with 135 and then they racked, racked it and finished off with 20 body weight. My quads would be smoked after one set, but that's not the way it works. Not everything has to be to utter failure, but then I'm just being a contrarian because I actually feel that that's the argument I've used for hip thrusts all the time. Like, People argue, oh, what's the best squat for glutes? What's the best deadlift for glutes? Well, just find the one that the ones that feel best for you, that feel natural, and then look to hip thrust variations to build your glutes. 
and then you know squats and does will definitely build the glutes and if if, if they're there a lot of people built great glutes from those but i still think from as a trainer standpoint you know i could build someone's glutes so much faster with hip thrust than just doing squats and deads but um and like this 17 year old ashton that i'm training i'm giving him lots of hip thrusts and it's going to improve his deadlift lockout he's got small glutes he needs big glutes and he needs that lockout strength um for, for his deadlifts and it's going to help him power out of the hole in the squats too so all right would i use machines for should you use machines with people absolutely absolutely you should um not everyone is built but everyone's unique you take you robbie you're gonna you, you might and it's funny even though you're tall some tall people squat great some short people don't sway it's not just about height and it's not just about anthropometry sometimes you can be like that person's gonna be a good sumo deadlifter i know and they aren't you can't just go straight off an anthropometry because it's more intricate than that. We don't know what their hip joint centers are. Their joint centers, their muscle attachments. Some people just, it hurts when they do sumo, we, you know, because the way their hip articulates or something, uh, where the femur articulates in the opposite tabulum. Like we don't, we don't know all these things and that's why a good coach has to experiment. And yes, you absolutely end up finding that this person likes the booty builder more than barbell hip thrust. This person likes the Nautilus glute drive. This person loves the Smith machine. This person hates the Smith machine with hip thrust. This person fills their quads so much when they use the pendulum squat machine. This person loves belt squats. This person loves hack squats. This person can't do hack squats because they're too effective. They beat up their knee joints so bad they can't do them. They're sore for three days. I could go on and on, but uh, when I listen to podcasts, I don't even listen to podcasts anymore because I feel like there's either the scientists who have all the book knowledge or the coaches who have experiential knowledge, but there's very rare to have someone who knows both. And I just, I listen to a lot of these guys now in the Instagram era, they don't train people and you can tell they make these stupid black and white statements and you can tell they don't really train anyone because <laughs> if you train people, you'd never say these black and white statements. So I love machines always will but i also feel like i can always find a, a variation even if someone's like i don't like military press like they might like military with chains you know it's hard to set up it's a pain in the butt but they might like military with this neutral grip bar that i have it's a barbell with neutral grip but the, the it, it, it kind of it's kind of like the landmine presses or something you know what i mean like but the, I, I like the landmine presses where it's up high um not down low where you do it out of the out of the rack but anyway i can always find variations for people these tall people who don't like squats and then you give them like high box squats and f get their right foot stance so they can kind of stay upright they end up liking them especially if you use chains if you use band i've been doing band smith machine squats high bar holy crap they work well they're insane People just need to get more creative and you, you can, and, and, you know, even you can use bands with hack squats. You can mix plates and bands to get the exact or, or chains to get the exact strength curve you want. And that goes a long way of help, with helping people's form and helping the lift feel more natural. It's kind of exactly the point of like Nautilus back in the day, Arthur Jones used to say, you know, I can, 
accommodate the strength curve. We can make this cam that's oval shaped so that throughout the range of motion, the, the belt gets closer or further away throughout the range of motion, depending on where you're strong and weak. It's the same concept to that. You know, it's, you use bands and chains and things like that. And also like things like weight releasers are awesome. You make the negative hard and then the concentric easy, but that you can only do for one rep. <laughs> but anyway, um, like there's lots of tools and people just don't experiment much. That's one thing that I've always been good at. I, I'm a, a MacGyver in the gym. I'm always experimenting like crazy. And I'm, I'm always, I love the challenge. In fact, when I do seminars, I'm like, who here doesn't like, who here can almost do a pistol squat? Okay, you've never done a pistol, but you're close to it. Good, we're gonna do a pistol today. Or like, who here hates squats? You know, I, I wanna get you to like them. Who here doesn't like hip, who does not feel your glutes in a hip thrust? I'm, I'll pick that person and I've never worked with them before. And it's my challenge in front of all these watchers, all these viewers, to see if I can find the right variation for them. So it's not just machines. It's, you will always find variations, free weight, machine, use it all. What I do in my Booty by Brett programming, I, I feel like my Booty by Brett periodization system is equally as like awesome as the hip thrust <laughs> that I invented, but it'll never get the clout. But I feel like it's very uh, creative and ingenious. God, I just sounded so conceited there. <laughs> but what I do is it's a five month cycle, rotating cycle. and. I studied periodization my whole life. And it's like, why did we only periodize like volume and effort? It's always like volume, effort. You know what I mean? That's like all we ever periodized. I periodize the, the exercise selection. And I've never seen anyone do that before. And my booty by Brett members get so strong. They're so strong. We're always gonna do the big six that I use in strong lifting. We're always focusing on the big six, variations of squats, deads, hip thrusts, bench, military chins. But each month I switch the focus. So it goes like this. Month one, squat and bench press focus. You're still gonna do hip thrusts and deadlifts and chin-ups in military, you know what I mean? You're still gonna do the other lifts. It's just that you're squatting, you know, you're squatting either three times a week or twice a week, but that's first in the workout. And then if the other workout doesn't have squats, it's a single leg movement that's first, like a deficit reverse lunge or something, you know? And that's what you're trying, that's your goal for the month is to maintain, because maintaining is easy. So I say it like this, imagine you've got, you know, six balls, each ball you're juggling, each ball represents the big lifts. So you're trying to juggle six balls but every time you get stronger, that ball grows. So you might be able to juggle, you know, say you're the best juggler in the world. Yes, you can juggle them because you can juggle six things, but when they get bigger and bigger, it becomes impossible. Some of those balls are going to drop. That's what progressive overload is like. You can't keep going. That. And I learned this as a lifter because I'm like, I, I want my chin-ups to go up. Well, if you ever want your chin-ups to go up, guess what you have to do? Do them three times a week, first in your workouts, and have a goal in mind. You'll set a chin-up PR by the end of the month. But you got to do that for every lift, and the rules are different for each lift. I can't say you want to set a deadlift PR, do the same thing for chin-ups, deadlift three times a week, hard as hell. You can't recover from that. But you can deadlift twice a week, 
once heavy for progressive one, a variation like an RDL. Uh, and then you can do assistance lift. There's different assistance lifts that build the, 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 the deadlift. I like skater squats. I like 45 degree hypers, weighted, you know. Uh, so like, that's what I do. Month one is a squat and bench press focus. Month two is a hip thrust and chin up focus. Month three is a deadlift and military focus. Now think about it. At the end of the squat month, your knees are a little bit beat up. So we move to hip thrusts. Okay, then the end of the hip thrust month, you feel great. Then you move into deadlift month, your low back is beat up. So then I do a single leg and dumbbell month. And my goal with that is to get all the little nagging things, you know, because you have reduced spinal loading. And uh, you know, it's also brutal. Single leg training is ugh, awful. It's so hard. But then everything heals up. All these little nagging things go away. And what's also I want my clients to know is that you don't have to, you know, I remember being younger used to be like, great, if I don't squat and deadlift, I'm going to wither away. I want them to know that you don't wither away. You maintain that because we're doing, we're doing squats and deadlifts. We're just doing single leg variations of them. So they're pleased to find out the next month they didn't lose any strength on squats and deads. That's important for my people to know because throughout the year, you're going to have some issues. You need to know you can still retain your strength. So then you move to a well-rounded month where there's no focus. You squat and bench on Monday. You chin up and hip thrust on Wednesday. You deadlift in military on Friday. You still do six, six or seven exercises each day, but you have no focus on that month. And then you cycle back around. It's a five-month rotating cycle and it works wonders. And I've never heard anyone develop anything like that. Have you ever seen anything like that ever? Not not uh, not to the detail with those six specific lifts, no. And come here, tell me this. So, with with that rotation, what are the the like what are the rep ranges that you're doing for the big six? And then, in terms of the accessory work, are you are you undulating and intensifying that with the with the different blocks? Like, how are you periodizing that? Yep. So the rep ranges, uh, I'll try to do like say it's a hip thrust month. Well, you can hip thrust three times a a, a week. You can recover from that. So one day will just be a basic barbell hip thrust or a pause hip thrust, you know, and that might be a that might be a pyramid, but you're gonna do some low rep sets, you know. Maybe it's a 10, 8, 6, 15 pyramid, popularized by Vince Gironda back in the day, or maybe it's three sets of five with a three-second pause. Maybe it's you know, three sets of three, maybe you work your way up to a max single, but you do a heavy day, then you will have two other days where it's like that's where you can get creative and use more of the mind muscle connection, do higher reps. So maybe you do a, a Smith machine hip thrust one and a quarter reps, or maybe you do, you know, a knee banded constant tension where you reverse admitted pulses, where you just do the top half of the range or something. But then I have within each month, there's a four week rotating uh, in terms of like effort. So week one, because newbies always want to know what weight should I use? I can't possibly, no coach can possibly tell you that we're not psychic. I can't tell you use, use 45 pounds on this exercise. I have no clue online. I can't tell you what, 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 and even if I give percentages, you know, Brad Schoenfeld and I did a study once with leg press. Those participants did 70% of their one rep max on leg press. Okay. There were like say 22 participants. One, one participant got 21 reps and another got seven. 
with 70% of one rep max. So yes, those percentages end up working well for the masses, okay? But there's always gonna be that, that, that outlier who only hit seven. If you said do three sets of 10 at 70%, they would get seven, six, five. And they'd be like, this, this is way too hard. They'd feel lousy. I can't even do this program. The person who got 21 reps would do three sets of 10 and feel like they didn't even do anything. They'd be like, really? This program is too easy. So I always say the first week is a deload week. You're not going to failure on things. You can still get a decent workout, but you're not trying to beat anything. You're just practicing the movement pattern, practicing the movement, acquiring skill, and then figuring out what loads to use for week two. Then week two, three, and four, you're trying to PR. But week it ramps up a little. Week four, you train so hard that you want the deload for the next month. So that's how I periodize that. And, and, and you know, when you have a system with as many members as I have, you've got to come up with ways to make it user friendly while still being effective. And I think I've mastered that. You know, it took me 30 years to acquire this knowledge, but um, I look at other people's programs and I'm like, that's not user friendly. That's too technical or it's too simple or, you know, that's, that's, that's gonna, people will do that, but it's not effective or that's gonna be effective, but nobody's gonna be able to do that. You know, if I'm giving tempo and, and RPE or RIR on every single lift, like, come on, you can't do that to everyone. You don't want them thinking, counting out tempo on every single exercise. And then you look at these people's tempos and you realize this person doesn't do that exercise. You know, if you have like a four up, four down, step up, like that's not the way people lift. Or if you have a frog pump that's two up, two down, or shrug or calf raise, like no one does that. It's like, it's like this. That's the way people do shrugs. The frog pump, these are short range of motion lifts. It's more like half a second up, half a second down. Uh, so anyway, I don't do, I don't prescribe tempo. I say tempo, just do it naturally. Unless I, I will tell you if I want it to be a pause, a pause rep set or an eccentric accentuated rep, which I'll say, do a four second lowering count. But I don't specify tempo and I don't specify effort except that four week rotation that I lay out. But I don't tell them RPE or RIR. It's too confusing. Anyway, I'm really proud of that system. If you can't tell. <laughs> No, listen, the, the, I'd actually, and you mentioned this earlier on, I think that should be a whole podcast in itself. And I definitely think I'll, I'll have you back on because I'm kind of intrigued. Now I don't want to do a podcast on strong lifting, but. <laughs> yeah, no, well, let's, let, let, absolutely. Listen, I'm, you know me, man. I'm I'm as intrigued with all this stuff as you are. But before we go, I, I do want to, uh, I, I do want to get a few more questions in. One is this sort of mind-muscle connection. So we all know in strength and condition, there's always this question of how strong is strong enough. Well, if we took that, as an analogy for hypertrophy and said, how much is feeling like, how much we feel like how much feels enough feel is kind of what I'm getting at there. And then also I would love to get your thoughts on this volume versus intensity. Cause this debate is, is back again. We thought for a while there that volume was the answer because I suppose uh, and we, we all know the importance of mechanical tension, but I suppose volume was sort of to the forefront there because the logical sort of argument people were making was, well, like if we if it was just mechanical tension, we'd all get massive doing one RMs. So we know that volume plays some sort of a role there. 
And again, I suppose the answer is somewhere in between because it isn't all mechanical tension and it isn't all just hypertrophy. There has to be a sweet a sweet spot there. But at the moment, what I'm seeing is people are constantly saying, is it the Jay Cutler style or is it the Dorian Yates style? And I actually think that if people were to investigate the train a little more, they'd actually see the answer too. You know, it's like it's not like it's not like Jay Cutler didn't train with sufficient loads. He trained just more moderate loads with more volume. And everyone thinks like, like Dorian just like all Dorian did was just like like six sets, just walked right in it and, and did it. Up. And it's just like no, like he like he he like it's just yeah. There's more to it than that as well. It's like the the Tom Platts who people are like, oh, you got to squat like a thousand bajillion reps. It's like yeah, but Tom Platts had to take ten days off after that. <laughs> like so you gotta you gotta know the whole context around the situation. So yeah. ha, so two questions there for you. How much should we feel the muscle? Can that I we're tell actually... you a funny story about Tom Platts real quick? Oh, you can of course. Go ahead. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. He was my freaking idol growing up because i always loved lower body like i don't have big legs but i've worshipped big legs forever i've trained legs three times a week for literally like <laughs> so many years probably 25 straight years maybe even more and i've always prioritized them so tom platts was logically i mean i still think he had the greatest leg development to this day and oh, bodybuilders really? are in different leagues now than they were back then he's so far ahead of his time so this was like, maybe like, I don't know, say six years ago or something. I wanted to interview him, you know, for like my blog or for teenagers or something. So I, 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 you know, DM'd him, I guess on Facebook where they called DMs. Um, I, I messaged him and he just ignored me. So I went to message him again and I look and the, he had just started up his Facebook fitness page. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to message him again. And he, he only had like one thing at that time that was fitness related posted. It was Chris Duffin's drop the useless hip thruster video. <laughs> so I'm like, this guy can't, this guy, I'm the enemy to him because these old school, I've, I've heard Lee Priest bash hip thrusts. I've heard all these old school bodybuilders bash hip thrusts. And, um, and it's funny because like uh, Chris Cormier was an awesome bodybuilder back in the day. Um, and he now trains at the gym in San Diego and he sees my clients a lot. He's friends with some of my clients, but he was asking about like, you know, like me and cause all the girls on their coach. And I thought it was funny that things have come full circle, but um, I always was like, God, why does Tom have to hate? They all hate what they don't do. You know what I mean? They're like, in my day we did it. And we'll be like, yeah, you, Rob, you and I will be like that in 20 years. We'll be like, in my day, we didn't do that stupid stuff. Just do this. But uh, anyway, Here's a, to answer your question, here's a, um, where I don't just go by the research. Like I've seen, there are studies that indicate that volume is a little more important than intensity, okay? I don't like the word, the word intensity, it should be effort. James Steele wrote an awesome article about this. When you hear intensity, you think of, you'll, okay, maybe a, a fourth of people will be like the NSCA definition of intensity is percentage of one rep max. That's not a logical definition. A more logical definition of the word intensity is like how hard you push yourself. Well, that's effort. He said, I had a really intense workout. No one thinks an intense workout is just doing a one rep max. You think of like a CrossFit workout where you're in a puddle of sweat, breathing like crazy. So it could mean in load or it could mean effort. So some people say intensity of load or intensity of effort, but just drop the term intensity and say effort or load. Effort is how hard you exert yourself. You can measure it with rate of perceived exertion or RPE or RIR, 
reps in reserve. I like reps in reserve more. It's more intuitive in my opinion. And then load, with, which is a percentage of one rep max. Or, or, or velocity, that's a type of effort. If you're talking so, velocity, I strain. Oh, sure, sure, for strength coaches, yeah. So, um, so uh, th here's something, it's kind of like they're volume tra trainers and then intensity trainers and coaches. I'm an intensity guy. I go for PRs, but you're right. You, you could go for PRs all the time. If all you care about is progressive overload, you get hurt. You get, you get in a rut where all your joints hurt. You start getting anxiety uh, the night before. That's why I rotate my booty by Brett program. I talked about how I rotate the focus. Try and set squat or deadlift PRs for, you know, eight straight weeks. I mean, think of me. I just deadlifted 605 for five sumo. The thought of doing six, I can't try that again for a while. Like, <laughs> like, and then I hit 650. I almost hit 675. I got it so close. <clears throat> I don't want to try. My body's tell me don't try that for a while. Like you're, you're going to hurt yourself. It's too daunting. I got to like work my way out back in a, a you know, in a, do a, do an actual sumo deadlift cycle when I feel good again. And then, then I'll go for it. But I've consistently gone up in the deadlift every year. Most of the times when I set deadlift PRs, you know how many reps of deadlifts I'm doing a week? One. I was, I was, I was about to say between one and three. One rep a week. I, well, I, I do my warm up sets. So, I'll, I'll, but I just go for some PR. So when I'm moving up in my deadlift, I'm like, okay, I do squats before my deadlifts to warm up. They warm me up better for deads and maybe some back extensions. But then I, you know, I'll put, I'll start with like 405. I do one rep. 495, I do one rep. And then I know by that 495, when I hit the 650, that 495 felt like, it felt like how 405 normally feels. I mean, it went up so fast feels like cupcakes. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to do something big, you know? So that's what I use as my gauge, my indicator. And then I go, okay, I'm going to go for this. And then I go for it. And that's it. And then I'm done for the week. I rely on volume of squats. Squats build my deadlifts. Lunges build my deadlifts. Hip thrusts build my deadlifts. You know, 45 degree hypers build my deadlifts. I rely on my volume for those, but deadlifts beat the crap out of me. I can't do, if I did five by five on deadlifts, oh my God. I mean, I could probably hit like, <laughs> I could probably do 585 for five by five if you had a gun in my head. I think it would mess me. I could do that. I could accomplish that workout. I think I'd be, I think I'd be so beat up. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to train lower body for, Oh my God. Yeah. So I, I, I'm not one of those. So anyway, point being, I'm more of a intensity guy, but I also think there's some merit in doing both. Like, because you look at these people with really good physiques, you can kind of make up for lack of effort by doing more volume, but only so much. So I, 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 I'm more, I go by, I don't go by what the research says on those as much as what I see as a trainer. And you asked about the mind-muscle connection versus progressive overload as well. And it's like, there's a sweet spot. And I bet you it's influenced by genetics with both volume and effort. And then also with progressive overload and mind-muscle connection. But, but it's just, it's just that... Both. Sorry, both. Go ahead. It's just that I, I, there seems to be a big comeback lately to the intensity style of training because 
like the 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 DC type trains becoming popular again. You know the Dante Trudell yeah. and this idea. I haven't seen that. You follow different circles. That makes me happy though, because the the pendulum always shifts. I remember well, Alan Cosgrover first said that pendulum yeah. goes this way, pendulum goes this way. And it should just be in the middle. But people went too far to the volume side. Then they'll go too far to the intensity side, and it should be balanced. Well, like it's uh, this is why it's it'll be exciting for you now because I know you love like just learning new things too. So, like if you, uh, I feel like I'm open, I'm gonna open a rabbit hole here for you, and you'll be texting me over next week going, oh, I read I read up on this training. <laughs> so like so Dante Chadell had this what he called DC type training, dog craft training. Yeah, and, I know uh, about it. It's huge. Back, you know, fifteen years ago, it was yeah, huge. Yeah, yeah, and uh, like Dr. Scott, Scott Stevenson, his fortitude training is a sort of is is based off that. But like, I've just been following a few like the UK-based bodybuilders, and a lot of them seem to do that type of training too. Like, they usually have like leg push pullers or split, and they usually they, they seem to follow like this sort of. They only do two like proper sets, but one's a real working set. And it's all about just your logbook and progressive overload. Did you do more than last week? But the, the one issue that I have with that, and then I've actually seen these people talk about this, is that because ex- exercise execution is so important for bodybuilding and that you're actually targeting the muscle, like this is where strength and hypertrophy, I think, feel, I feel can diverge a bit. Because with strength, it's just like, it's again, it, it, you know, it, it is more neuromuscularly driven. And it's really just about, listen, did you move that low from A to B? Like, did you just get a good global stimulus? Like, did that deadlift go from 6 to 650? And did you pick it off the ground and lock it out? Like, you're not going some, did you feel that now in the glutes and the hamstrings? And, you know, like, it's not real mind muscle. So the problem then with this progressive overload for bodybuilding is that the execution starts to get really sloppy and the logbook takes over. They're like, yeah, yeah, I, I, bet my, I bet what I've done last week. But it's like... Yeah, but did you really keep the tension on the muscle you were trying to develop there? Because a lot of them are starting to say, do you know what? I had to fucking scrap my logbook and start drop weight and start all over again. So like when it gets to bodybuilding, it's a little more this idea of progressive overload versus mind muscle. And I suppose it's also exercise specific too. Like in my mind, the way I see it is that like even in my own training, and I think that you might, this might be in your type of style too, is that it's not an either or. It's kind of like, I like a hybrid. So personally for me, if if I was going to have the squat in my program, I would say I, I would justify it saying I like to squat just for whole body strength and get strong in that. So that's that's a good strength movement for me, you know, you know, type type two fibers, if you like, whatever. So the higher threshold monitors, are, they're getting a stimulus. I'll keep it in that sort of anywhere from one to six reps. And then when I'm really doing my mind muscle stuff, then for me and my body type and my uh, anthropometry, I'll do more like Bulgarian split squats and front foot elevated split squats and maybe reverse lunges with deficit because I know with the length of my femurs, those exercises, they'll allow me to get into those deeper knee joints that will allow me to have more mind-muscle connection to my quads if it's my quads I'm trying to develop. Whereas like I'll just use my squat as like a global strength and use the logbook and progressive overload more so for that and more mind-muscle connection maybe for the more single leg stuff. So it's kind of, in my mind, it's like, why not use a hybrid of this boat progressive overload intensity model and some of the volume stuff you know so you're kind of taking the jay cutler world and the dorian Yates and marrying it together so i mean that's what i love about you talking about these uk bodybuilders i love it because i don't see anyone talking about that most of the guys just do volume most of the bodybuilders just do a ton of volume and a ton of steroids and everything just works out fine they never even learned how to train like natural bodybuilders can't just do that they can't just rely on the steroids so a lot of these guys that take stuff they get spoiled you know and that's what i like about you know 
when I feel like bodybuilders should, even the ones who take stuff should have long periods where they go off because you learn, shit, I got to train smart. I can't just rely on the gear. So you have to, you, you, you're right. You use that intensity model or effort model. I mean, I've gotten to the point where I'm doing like this row machine and I can do the stack and I've done the stack for 23 reps, <laughs> you know? So you're pinning, you're trying to pin weight onto the stack or whatever in an extra weight. And then you notice you start heaving a little too much. See the rows, any row. Tell me a row, seal row, chest supporter row, bent over row, T-bar row, seated row. You start heaving more. And you're like, cool, I just set a PR, but I didn't really feel it. you know. And then you go down 30 pounds and you squeeze and you're like, I felt that more. So you got to rotate the exercises. And then you, you start off lighter and then you try your best to maintain that form and that feel throughout the month, and you cycle it. And that's what I do for Booty by Brett. We cycle exercise, number one. And number two, so you're going for progressive over the, on this targeted lift, but then you end up doing other lifts that month, or sorry, that workout. You're doing deadlifts still. It's some deadlift variation. Maybe it's RDL, but it, you're not trying to necessarily go up in it like crazy. So you do go for the feel. You kind of utilize the mind. It's the best of both worlds. You're absolutely right. You should marry the two together. And you're absolutely right. If if all you if you, all you do is the same six lifts, I mean, go try and my we've been doing these strong lifting meets. It's hard to go up five pounds a year in military press, you know. If you get went up five pounds a year for six straight years, you went up 30 pounds for a woman, for a smaller woman, you know, for a hundred and uh, 130 pound woman whose PR is a hundred, you know then the next year 105 the next year 110 the next year that's 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 what i'm finding it's not that easy to keep going up in military press moves the slowest um now uh it gets to a point where military press is daunting you start trying to set a pr and you don't you don't even match it you went down so that's that's when you start getting frustrated with your training you stop liking it. It's not enjoyable. That's that's bad. You always want training to be fun, exciting, enjoyable. You want to keep that zeal. So in order to do that, you have to uh, you have to rotate things. You have to keep it fun, and you have to keep that enthusiasm. So you got to rotate the lifts, and there's some that you do for into no. You the, my, my approach is the hybrid model, like you said. So it's not just the Dorian Yates model or just the DC model. But if I remember correctly, the D DC model does employ different techniques. Like they did like weighted stretching. They did a lot of different things. Like, did he do any pump stuff? I don't know if he did. Maybe. No, no. So what, what, so with DC, like that, that would be seen more as a hit model. Like that, that like as yeah. it, I put it, it did, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it incorporated uh in, in in extreme stretching in it as well there was different methods when it put the yeah, he was all about the logbook which i love yeah I mean, I taught ashton last night I, I bought him a logbook and i taught him how to do it yeah. you don't see that enough and and they do this it's like blasting and cruising so i think like they're like they go anywhere from like six to 12 weeks of hard out training and they'll okay. then they'll take some time off but it's just again like that type the of model cruising, the cruising is when you would do the mind muscle and you're not going for prs you yeah. feel it more so every good model, every good bodybuilding system has the best of both worlds in it, in my opinion. You have to. It just doesn't work that way where you go up linearly 
the body doesn't work that way. It works in waves and sometimes there's no rhyme or reason to it. And this is for men. Women then have, you know, their menstrual cycles and that's, strength doesn't fluctuate that much, but it should. You look at the hormones throughout the month and you look at ovulation where you've got like progesterone here, estrogen here and testosterone here and progesterone is down, testosterone is up. And then you look at the week before, you know, the, 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 when they're, when, when they're PMSing like that, then everything's down lower. And it's like, how are, how are they? How is strength not <laughs> well all over the place? But for some, for some people, it is a little bit if they're not on birth control, other people, not so much, but that, that, that's a different wrench in the mix. Like that, that women have to deal with that men don't. Because even me, sometimes you go to deadlift, and you're like, oh my God, 405 feels like 600 right now. And that's where I've learned, I've gotten so much better at. I don't have those, I don't crush myself as bad anymore. I'm not afraid to just do one. Last night I did deadlifts, I just did one set. Sometimes I'll do two hard sets. Sometimes I'll do three sets, but I don't, I go by how I feel and I'm not obsessed with doing so much volume. I know what exercise I can do more volume on that doesn't beat me up. Because volume is only good up until a point where you can recover from it. If you outstrip your body's ability to recover from it, you're doing more harm than good. And I think a lot of people do that with volume. Yeah. Listen, and they spin I, their wheels. I know, I know that you have to catch a flight today. So we'll, we'll wrap it here and um, we'll, uh, we'll try and, and hook up again soon because I'd love to get more of your thoughts on your training system. But also I want to get more of your thoughts too on uh, like different training splits and training frequencies as well. Um just uh funny just one thing i was going to say to you there was isn't it funny like nearly everyone sort of in our position and what i mean by our position is anyone that's has an appreciable amount of training experience they nearly all end up in the same place in that they start just training by feel you know as in like i i just you know i can't like i knew that like it's like when you're young and like fuck i have to get five sets of five on this or something and you just do it but when you're older you're like Nah, listen, the, you, you young cubs, you'll learn your lesson. You'll go for that five sets of five one day, and the next day your back's blown out. Where you should just listen to your body, like listen, I live to fight another day type thing. So, it's uh, it's funny that nearly everyone kind of ends up in the same position when they're, they're listening more so to their body. One final quick thing for you, Brett, question-wise, because I'm actually in an active recovery week where I'm actually letting my joints and my, and my soft tissues take a bit of a break just from loading. Do you ever take like a full week off training or like a full two weeks like off heavy lifting just to give the body some recuperation? No, I remember reading, and this is what I love about reading so many bodybuilding magazines back in the day. You you get to hear from the bodybuilders themselves. And it was like Lee Priest got asked that when I was like, I don't know, I think it was probably like 20. Someone asked him that. So it's like 25 years ago. He's like, F no, like, why would I take a week off? Then you get that newbie soreness again. I never, I hate the soreness. I hate it. Where you go to sit down and you're like, uh, you, you're like, you know, on the toilet and you don't even want to get up because you know it's going to be so painful for your glutes and quads. Um, or like your hammies are so sore, you bend over and you don't even want to pick something up. Because as I get older, I just don't like the soreness. It's kind of like I'm always sore. I'm always feeling a little bit beat down and sore. So I don't want to get too sore. In fact, I, I sometimes think it's funny. I'm, if anyone's around, I'll be like, hey, will you throw this away? Will you grab me a, 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 a diet soda or something? Because I just, and that's what I think happens as you age, your knee goes down because you're sore a little bit with weight, 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 weight trainers like me. 
you know, uh, my meat goes down, my appetite is up, and that's why every year I gain a little bit of weight. <laughs> but uh, I don't like that soreness, so I don't ever take a week off, but I do have deload. And it's like, we could have a whole podcast on deloads too. Why does it have to be a deload week? Can it be a deload three days? Uh, can you still do exercise that work at short muscle lengths and train them hard? Does it have to be, you know, are we trying to just heal the local muscle tissue? Or are we trying to improve systemically? Do your hormones improve? How much we don't, there's so much I don't know. I haven't seen research on and it might, and I guarantee you there's a genetic element that is best because, you know, I know whenever I used to take a week off back in the day when I was like 19 and stuff, I, it was funny. I'd take a week off, I'd come back weaker. I would come back weaker. My bench would go down and I got all, you know, I remember my, my professor for my PhD program quoting the literature and he's like, strength decay is only this percentage. And I'm like, I don't care what the literature says. I know my body. Every time I take a week off, my bench goes down. My squats go down. My deadlift doesn't, but, um, but then, you know, so my, I would always, we, my training partner back in the day, Rob would take a week off and he'd get stronger. So he was probably always overreaching a little bit and it's just different for different people. So that's what yeah, the art of coaching. There will always be an art to coaching and we'll never have it boiled down to a straight up science where you can just plug in, you know, do a genetic test and these things come out. You'll I'll always be a job for personal trainers. Like and just a, a computer algorithm, you know? Yeah, but yeah. You, everyone is so individual and so unique in that regard. But uh, listen, I'm going to wrap up here and I'll say goodbye to you offline. So hopefully we'll get you back on uh, again the not too distant future because again there's more topics i mean you know me and you <laughs> we could spend hours talking should the time i visit you in phoenix we just we were just in your garage talking training all night and i just i i just always what always sticks in my mind from that visit was uh it's just like brett is like is the modern day mel sif because you were just like i just want to i just want like a research lab that's in my house and it's just this like is this i have on my counter of these Oh, I want to like fund these glute. These are glute studies I, ideas that need to be conducted, and I'm too busy. I need to figure out how to get these done. <laughs> All right, I'll say goodbye to offline. So for everyone listening, appreciate your earbuds, and until next time, take care, be well, and stay strong. Mm -hmm.